I've seen a big move in the industry where we talk about unified wealth, but once you kind of peel back the onion, it's not really unified. In years past, there would be, hey, I'm going to take this as far as I can. I'm going to throw it over the fence. There's no fences. Everybody is engaged in this process. We don't even necessarily think of ourselves as different departments. Your leaders have to have common goals, and that means we either sink or we swim together. And on average, those that operate in a horizontally integrated fashion, they have a 17 basis point higher NPS score. We have beyond a top quartile NPS score, we're in about the top 5%. Most of the growth in the RIA space is inorganic, lifting advisors and AUM from other channels via M&A. In fact, the larger RIAs are now partnering with or establishing their own BDs and trust companies because these are valued services. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Stathis Mattel Industry Leadership and Success Podcast Series. This series focuses on industry-leading performance, success stories, and key business intelligence that will help you meet your leadership objectives. And now I'll turn it over to our hosts, Scott Stathis and Bob Mattel. Hello, I'm Scott Stathis, and welcome to this episode of Industry Leadership and Success called The Convergence of Investments, Trust, and Private Banking Part 2, Diving into the One Wealth Success Story at Zions. So in this episode, we will continue the discussion on the journey to One Wealth that we began in part one, and we'll cover topics like effective leadership, measuring success, driving the culture, creating awareness, among other things. So with that said, let me pass it to my partner, Bob Mattel, so he can introduce himself and our guests. Bob? Well, thanks a lot, Scott, and it's great to be here with our team here from LPL and Zions. And again, thanks to LPL for being today's sponsor. One Wealth Experience at Zions is today's topic. And I go back a ways in this business. And I remember when these programs were called the brokerage program, the investment program, the financial services program, and now the wealth management program. Now, words matter. And it's not just words at Zions. It is the real deal. So let's meet our panelists and start with Rebecca Robinson. Hello, I'm Rebecca Robinson. I'm the Director of Enterprise Wealth Management for Zions Bank Corporation. All right. And with her today from Zions, we have Chris Considine. Chris. Hi, good morning. I'm Chris Considine. I'm the Director of Financial Planning. I'm also the Director of Fiduciary Services for Zions Bank Corporation. And welcome to the panel. From LPL, we have Carolyn Bradshaw. Carolyn. Hi, good morning, everyone. I'm Carolyn Bradshaw. I'm responsible for business development, working with super regional financial institutions. And we thank you for your sponsorship today, along with Chris Cassidy. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having us. I'm Chris Cassidy. I lead the uh, institution business development teams at LPL. All right. So to all of our listeners, take notes, enjoy the discussion, and let's get right into it, Scott, with the first question. All right. So let's start kind of high level like we did in part one, but let's get more specific to Zion. So define for us, just for listeners that may not have listened to part one, but define for us unified wealth management at Zion. So what does that mean to Zion's and and as importantly or more importantly, what impact has it had? So have you ha, do you measure the impact of this One Wealth initiative? And if so, what has been that impact? Rebecca, you want to start us off? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Scott. And I think as Bob said, words matter. I've seen a big move in the industry where we talk about unified wealth, but once you kind of peel back the onion, it's not really unified. It's two groups that are maybe trying to get along better, to have better partnerships. So one of the things as we kind of rebranded our our wealth offering, gosh, about 10 years ago now, is we wanted to truly have a unified experience. And when I think about it, we always start with our clients. And when we thought about clients, the reality is they don't know the difference between your fiduciary, your trust offering, your broker-dealer offering. And the reality is they shouldn't. So we set out to make sure that we could work with all of our clients in the right place and that our advisors could work across a variety of platforms, more about meeting the client need and building a team and less about saying you're siloed internally based on some criteria we set. What we have found is that's great for our clients. It is great for our internal partners. Uh, Within a bank, we have a lot of different people we work with. And the more confusion there is about who they should call, who they should introduce someone to, the less likely they are to do it. So our internal partners know 
that they can call anyone and that the client will get the right experience. Um, with our well team, it, re it just removes internal conflict. And I've always thought it's unfortunate how much time internal conflict is kind of front and center rather than your focus on external, which is really your clients. And then finally, the financial outcomes um, are very, very good. What we see is people are able to build their skill set. So we have a lot of people who may have started working with smaller clients and in a very short time are very comfortable running a team, bringing in the right experts, and they learn off of each other. So for us, One Wealth truly means a unified offering that is about getting the client to the right place, bringing the right team to them, and not about how we've chosen to organize internally. Yeah, I, I love the focus on the client and the client experience. And Rebecca, to your point, the, the client shouldn't have to know the difference between one department and the other. It doesn't matter to them. They want a seamless experience, right? So I'm curious, and Chris Considine, I'll throw this to you, but we can go back and forth. From the client's, client experience perspective, have you been able to measure client satisfaction from an experiential standpoint are there any benchmarks that you look at do you you know do you do the nps scores or anything like that and then specifically chris for you since you're running planning have you been able to get a feel for the impact of the work that you do from a one wealth slash planning perspective on on client outcomes and their satisfaction because of the integration of the the offerings at zions that really manifests itself to a significant degree through the overall plan that you put together? So in terms of the impact, I would say from a culture perspective, it's, it's actually been fairly seamless. And it's partly because of what Rebecca was mentioning before. A whole, the idea of one wealth is really client-driven. Clients come to this institution and they say, look, I don't care which channel I'm in. I just need help with X problem, Y problem, can you please help solve that for me? And the more seamless we can make that for them, then the more, um, the more appreciative they are versus them having to understand all of the, the, the background behind the scenes that are help answering that question for them. So I think in terms of adoption amongst our team members, it was very seamless. They all have been on the front lines and they've all had to probably put that client on hold and say, let me go talk to this person or that person and try and answer the question. And they've always wanted to be more empowered to be able to have that information right at their fingertips because that's what the client's demanding. So there's been a lot of uh, great feedback from our bankers, from our wealth advisors saying, yeah, please give us more of this information because the clients are demanding it from us. Now, it's not to say it's all been a walk through the park. It's certainly not been that. We've had certain pockets of people who have gotten used to um, operating in a certain way, and now we're sort of stretching their skill set. We're asking them to do a few different things. You know, I think for those people, it's really about just change management, getting them to understand this is what your client is now expecting of you. Um, let's make sure that you've got the tools available. Let's make sure you're educated as to the services that we have so that you can at least have a, a helpful conversation with that client before you perhaps have to put them on hold to be able to reach out to a specialist uh, for that. As it relates to financial planning for our clients here, it's so central to what the client is reaching out for. They may be saying, hey, look, can you help me with balances? But if we have that financial plan, then we're able to pivot from, well, look, what's the balance? That's important. But where are we in terms of reaching a goal? Um, and the more we can have those conversations, the more we can allay some of that financial anxiety that's typically in the back of their mind, which is probably the reason that they're reaching out to begin with. Finally, I guess the last piece is just the integration within the bank. Um, so again, we've got banking partners who are used to doing things in a certain way, and they're used to, I would say, maybe five or 10 years ago, just saying, hey, look, let's put together a meeting. Our banking partners are now becoming more empowered to be able to help have unique conversations and then be able to, to pivot it over to whoever is the professional um, that's helping them there. So in terms of the impact, uh, Rebecca, I know you've got some some numbers to be able to, to back that up. Yeah, we recently did uh, a very comprehensive client survey, uh, both qualitative and quantitative. And what we found is uh, we ranked kind of off the charts and much, much higher in three categories. And those were trust, transparency, and responsiveness. 
And we have beyond a top quartile NPS score, we're in about the top 5% with NPS scores. So what we're finding is what we're doing internally, what that is doing for our teams is absolutely being reflected now in how our clients feel about us and how our clients talk about us. And Rebecca, have those NPS scores, uh, have they been done for years and you see a specific trending based on what you're doing? We have, and they have trended way up. Uh, we were below the 50th percentile. We're not proud of that, but 10 years ago. And part of this goal and part of this journey was put your clients in the center and everything else will work out okay. And you know, it has both financially, internally, but then also externally with what our clients are experiencing. Carolyn and, and Chris Cassidy, I mean, you guys are partners in this, right? Um, LPL and Zions have, uh, I believe, worked closely together to make all this happen. So give us your perspectives from a partnership standpoint on the the impact and, and, and what you've seen and experienced and how that compares to those out there that aren't quite getting it yet. Yeah, it's a good question, Scott. Um, and I think it's... Uh, Anytime you talk about a specific institution, it's um, it's fun to kind of enjoy what the successes they've had. But the successes that Zions have had is theirs, right? We're a partner and we're their their platform, but the execution is quite frankly theirs and they own it. Um, they have a phenomenal model. And so Rebecca and Chris and the leadership team there really have made hard choices, not only about what they want to be, but what they don't want to be. And I think that is, quite frankly, um, really a distinction amongst a lot of the other firms that we see in the industry. Bob, you and Rebecca both said at the start, words matter, but leadership matters as well. And I think leadership is actually what translates to those words. And so when you think about Zions in particular, what strikes out to me is they've been very intentional around their efforts. And so a couple of stats, maybe not specific um, to their organization, but in general, are we did a top performer survey uh, at the beginning of this year. So really advisors that are growing faster than those on average and um, those that are winning new clients at a higher clip, they tend to operate in horizontally integrated teams. And so they're multiple disciplinary, which exactly translates to unified wealth, right? Uh, not vertical integration where we have a senior, a junior, and then maybe kind of some support mechanism, but multidisciplinary, right? We have effective approach to thought leadership. And on average, those that operate in a horizontally or integrated fashion, they have a 17 basis point higher NPS score. So it's uh, it's materially different. That's a significant difference. And it's interesting that you got that you guys have that stat. Um, so that's cool. Carolyn, any any additional thoughts from your perspective? No, I mean, I think Chris covered the majority of it, but what we've seen, and he touched on this a little bit, is really the leadership that we've seen from Zions and everything's felt from the top down. So when you're talking about a unified approach to wealth, they also have a unified leadership team at Zions and they're all on the same page singing from the same hymnal. And it's felt all the way through with their bankers, with the wealth folks. It, it's across the board, not just within that. So making sure that everyone is having that same message helps drive the business because it's felt from the top down. And that's something we've really seen Zions do well. One of the things that I've seen in higher performing organizations that are working well cross-departmentally, and that's what you're talking about, right? For a one, for a one wealth experience is that there are good internal friendships. The secret sauce seem to be friendships. If there are internal friendships, that means there's internal trust that means they share opportunities, they being different people in different departments, and stuff just starts flowing. Would you say that's a factor at Zions? Have you seen that happen via this One Wealth initiative? And what I would say is we don't even necessarily think of ourselves as different departments. We really talk about ourselves in a way that we are all wealth management. Um, and one of the things we put in place right out of the gate was common goals. Your leaders have to have common goals, and that means we either sink or we swim together. So when we thought about that, if one group can succeed while everybody else fails, then we're still not going to get to the right place. So I think the common goals were critical. And a lot of that took building the friendships because we had 
competition internally before. We had a lot of it. So we also had to be pretty transparent about challenges. We had to get to know each other. And it took, I will say, a couple of years before you could get the entire leadership team together and feel synergy. Uh, for a while, we got together and a lot of people were just sort of going through the motions. But I think those common goals made a big difference. The other one <clears throat> was spending a lot of time understanding your partner's skills and their value proposition. So the best way you can lead your team and lead your managers to lead their teams is you have to understand what everybody does. And I always say like the measure of success is how people respond. We had someone who had come from a competitor and had worked with us for about a year and we were doing client reviews. And one of our leaders in one area jumped in and said, you know, that client needs advanced planning. Let's go ahead and pull this person in. And they just stood there for a second. They said, I love working here. Do you know how long I had to like work to fight my way in to the right clients at my former organization. And here it's not even about fighting your way in. It's about the leaders and all of their teams identifying where I should be. And it's just a non-negotiable, but it's also a welcome into a relationship, not trying to fight your way in. So I think the common leadership, it that starts it. And then how you bring that down to ensure that what you're saying is actually happening on the ground. You know what, Rebecca, I think you just hit a nugget there, and that is the appreciation of value propositions across different functions, right? That does not happen in a lot of organizations. There is no shared appreciation of value propositions across the different elements of the organization. If you have that, that's significant. So congratulations on that. Chris Cassidy, did you have a thought that you wanted to add? Because I know Chris Considine does. Which one of you, Chris's want to go? <laughs> go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, I think a, a byproduct of this One Wealth um, delivery that we're providing has been engagement from our people. Um, and I don't think that was an intentional uh, setup when we were thinking about it, but it's, it's definitely come about and it's been great. So in years past, there would be, hey, I'm going to take this as far as I can. I'm going to throw it over the fence. There's no fences. Everybody is engaged in this process. I guess there probably are a few fences, but they're really low at this point. And we're trying to eliminate them entirely so that people feel empowered. And when our advisors, when our bankers, when our team members are empowered, they go and they run down new answers that are exactly what the client is looking for. So I think that's been a big plus for us. And it wasn't necessarily something we were, we were intentional about, but it is something that we've felt since. Love hearing that stuff. So. Bob, you have a question, although I'm not sure which one of all the questions you have in your head you want to ask, but well, I'll put we, you in the spot, we, so go for it. <laughs> I, I think we've touched on a few of the um, uh, questions on leadership and internal friendships. So I'm going to ask our folks from LPL, from the outside looking in, you know, how does LPL look at this from a growth perspective in the overall industry? How do you show how a financial institution can grow with a strategy like this. Carolyn, you want to take a shot at that? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, as we're looking across the segments themselves, if you look where the fastest growing segments are of our business, it's fairly straightforward. It's fee-based advice. And this is something that we've all heard and been focused on throughout the years. But if you look at the data, the S&P for the 2022 the 10-year CAGR was 10.4%. And if you look at a few relative channels for us, they rank as follows versus the benchmark. Bank trust at 5.6%, bank brokerage at 7.7%, and the independent RIA at 10.9%. And this is often construed to mean that the IRA, RIA world is the place to be. And we see some banks buying and establishing RIAs to try and replicate that. We largely view that as a misconception. Most of the growth in the RIA space is inorganic, lifting advisors and AUM from other channels via M&A. In fact, the larger RIAs are now partnering with or establishing their own BDs and trust companies because these are valued services. Chris, I don't know how much you would want to add to that, but as we look at the independent RIAs, so what do independent RIAs have that the bank channel does not? It comes down to basically simplicity. Chris Cassidy, I don't know how much you would want to add to that, but we think banks can look at this a little bit differently. Instead of buying an RIA or continuing with two operating models, you can deliver client service 
at the top of the funnel with four product lines underneath, banking, loans and deposits, transactional, brokerage and insurance, fiduciary, trustee or estate settlement, and then fee-based advice. Planning is basically what could be a distinct offering, but we believe it plays into the four referenced. And it sounds like it's all about planning and getting deeper with clients. So that's the value proposition that you have, really. At the end of the day, everything comes back to planning. If you don't have a plan with a client, you're not going to succeed. And that's what the clients feel. They don't care about the investments at the end of the day. Those are just the vehicle to get them there. They care about the actual plan and the people that they're working with. And that's really where we see Unified come in, is it's the people and the teams. And in my earlier comments, that's what makes a difference from the brokerage program to the investment program to true wealth management and planning. And as we said earlier, that words do matter. And planning is the key to gathering more assets, gathering more share of wallet, and making sure that the customers have everything they need from one institution. Everyone starts out with, with getting a paycheck and going to a bank. And then suddenly they have assets all over the place. And now we have to go back and gather them all back to where that first relationship started. Rebecca, I see you not I need I see you nodding over there. So I'm I'm sure this is part of what your mantra is in your delivery and your, you know, your your scope is at the bank. Absolutely. And I actually started my career truly in independent fee-based planning where we actually didn't have the ability to deliver. So mm -hmm. I see the value in planning, but the reason I moved from that model into a bank is I also understood that planning is valuable in so much as then your team can also help execute. So the first step is you need to know what someone needs. It's really important. And that might be simple for one person. We have advanced planning for very complex families. But then the next step is what do I need to execute? And then how do I maintain it? So planning to me is not just an event. As Carolyn said, it crosses all of these areas because it should be the glue and it should be ongoing. Should never be one time. We should always be asking, do you have the right thing right now? Is this the right thing a year from now? And making sure that this is really truly an ongoing event. We actually have the guy that runs planning. So let's let's let Chris Constantine chime in Please. here as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I should just sit in the background and let them speak. They're they're much better about saying this. Uh, but it's absolutely true. From our perspective, if we're not doing a plan for a client, then I question whether or not we're actually the advisor that that client leans on. Um, yeah. More than likely, they've got a plan. It may be in their head, it may be on their home spreadsheet, or it may be with another advisor. Um, but the answer from our perspective is, if you're going to come and work with us, we're going to give you a plan. We're not going to give you return. We're going to give you a plan. We're going to give you a team. We're not going to give you, hey, uh, hey, this is this is the way this product is going to work. Um, it's more of let's educate you. Let's figure out what your goals are. Let's see if you're on track to being able to achieve that. And then as uh, Rebecca was just mentioning, we try and take that as far as we possibly can from an implementation standpoint. Our clients are busy. Uh, they have a lot going on. And so the more we can help them with, hey, let's make an introduction to this person, or hey, let's make sure that that gets taken care of. Our clients love sort of uh, check sheets. You know, they love to be able to, to, to knock off things on their list. They love when we provide that to them. Um, and that's, that's probably beyond planning, but it's definitely a helpful piece that they're looking for uh, from us. And we're happy to be able to provide that to them. Well, customers are almost looking for life coaches at this point. Yeah. You know, it's it's more than just the plan. It's it's everything they do in their life. They're looking for somebody to help guide them. Yeah, I think Bob, that that's it, right? It's it's um if you look at these things, we've artificially created walls around planning and protection, investment management, and fiduciary, right? All these different services. And if you look at them truly as solutions as opposed to delivery channels or models, right, I think this thing extends pretty pretty uh, far, like we've thought classically about unified wealth maybe as like banking, trust, and investment services. But the reality is, is just providing solutions across the client's life. And the foundation of that is discovery supplemented and fulfilled by planning. So I think that that's, that's what's critically important here. And, and Chris Cassidy, you mentioned the client's life. That brings into the conversation, the kids as well, because you can't just do a plan for the couple. You need to meet the kids unless the kids are going to fire you down the line, right? So can we, let's talk about that for a second. 
Yeah, that never happens, right? <laughs> um, I think it's I so it's it's funny, it's timely. We'll call it a firm that's un, unnamed, fairly large kind of wealth management offering. They uh, put out a study last week that I had a chance to read, and um, in the uh, in the wealth management space, so kind of all channels delivered. Um, at the death of the matriarch and the patriarch, the investment services business. So think about classically financial advisor-led models. They retain less than seven percent of the second generation, is defined by AUM. Uh, when you think about the trust model, it's almost exactly the inverse of that. Right, so it's it's well into the 80, 90 percent retention range. But if you think about on the other side of that coin, Carolyn described kind of some of the growth structures of what's happening across the various channels. So the RIA channel and the bank broker channel, far more growth in financial advisor-led relationships than there is in kind of trust-led relationships. So if you can do what Rebecca, Chris, and the Zion team have been able to do and pull together those models, you essentially get the best of both worlds for your business. And that starts with a client experience narrative. I have to tell you a, a, a quick story here. I have a 529 plan for what my daughter who went to a public school, a public college. It was overfunded. There's money left over. I mentioned that to my financial advisors. No problem. We can roll that into an IRA. There's a new law that enables us to do that. He just got my daughter who's 22 years old as a client. Smart guy. Let me tell you, that's what it's about. Extending it out beyond me and my wife to the kids. You know, that's just something that uh, I throw out there for those financial advisors that might be listening. Don't forget the kids. Yeah. And, and I would also just include in there some of the demographics that we've seen. I'm sure everybody has seen that our clients are skewing older and they're skewing female. So don't forget about the wife. She's probably going to be the one making the financial decisions upcoming. So make sure that you're including her in the process. Sometimes we have a business owner and he's thinking to himself, it's all about this business. And when we have the conversation, we know that that business is just a personal asset. And that's the way that the spouse, the wife is looking at it. Um, well, guess what? There needs to be conversations as to the goals of both of those spouses. Otherwise, you run the risk of that spouse saying, look, you know, you are my husband's choice. I'm going to go someplace else where they're speaking my language and they're talking about the goals that are important to me. And uh, vice versa. So, inclusive, 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 inclusive. And Chris, I think that's something you guys have done pretty well at Zion's. You know, Rebecca, in a lot of our conversations, you've touched on how personality matters and lining up the personalities matter and making sure that even on the team, when you're coming with a unified approach, you have the different personalities on the team. It's not a one fits all, you have the different personalities and also skill sets that they're bringing to a client so that there is always someone that the wife can relate to, the husband can relate to, the kids can relate to. It's not just a singular person and it reduces the exposure of losing that client at the end. And Carolyn, I think that's important too, is as relationships shift, sometimes children want their own advisor. Mm -hmm. And so part of this team is also that sometimes you don't hold on to everything or if there is a transition and whichever spouse you may have worked with, maybe you don't click with the other spouse. Some of what we do too is because it is about the client and it's not about us, is having that ability to say also, it may be time for us to help move a different relationship person in, but you may still have longevity with your team. So I, I think we all have to be willing to say that too. Um, I know in the personal work I do, I really resonate with business owners and the entrepreneur, mm -hmm. but sometimes that next generation is maybe not who I should be working with, but there may be someone else in the organization that's really good. And I think that's part of what we offer our clients as well, is we have a lot of people who are running the same model who are well-trained, but it is also about how well you connect with them. It's a personal I business. I think you nailed it with the one nugget from that, that you said is it's not about us. It's about the client. And if you have the unified approach that you've established at Zion's, it really always comes back to it's about the client. It's not about the team or the approach or whatever it may be. It's about the client and what is best for that particular client and the fit. This has been a fun journey to watch. And it's it's interesting because we're really starting to arrive at Zion's. Right? Like you just the, the performance is starting to really take off. It's a very fun culture. You can see it exude. From the people there were a lot of things 
that you've talked about today, client-centric, people, journey, the engagement, right? But the other thing that really pulls through is this concept of model discipline. The question I would ask you, right, is, you know, being on this kind of like seven, eight, nine-year journey is what advice do you have for other leaders as they're thinking about it? Because it's a challenge, right? Where do I start as I hit the second phase? How do I pour gas on something that's working and maybe pivot to another strategy uh, if something's not working? So just maybe if you could articulate how you think about those things, that'd be helpful. I'll start with one, then I'll hand it over to Chris. And this one is highly personal. I think the first thing the wealth leader has to do is ask themselves what their own biases are. Um, I came up through a fiduciary trust, private banking side of the world, and I had certain views of other types of business. And I really had to dig in and I really had to learn and I had to challenge myself because until I could really see this holistically and the value that all different people are bringing and how we could upskill some and how some are better at sales and relationship management and some are better at technical things but until i could see that there's no way for me to lead it and when i interact with a lot of my peers i would say that's where i probably see the first challenge we still see ourselves talking in a way that there are there are different things so the one thing i would say is start by challenging yourself and if you have a view of a certain business go spend some time with the people who do it Ask them about the things that you have a bias toward, and you will learn pretty quickly that there's a lot more to it than maybe you've seen. And I think that will set you up to kind of start the next piece of it. Yeah, and I would just add two things. One I've already spoken about, which is engagement. The more you can empower your people, the more it just becomes obvious that this model is a, an efficient way to be able to get to answers for their clients. Um, they, they can try different ways that they quickly realize, wow, this just works well. Um, but give them the space to be able to do that. Let them sort of fall down every once in a while and then stand back up and realize, maybe I should do it this way. So engagement is a, is a self-motivator, which helps when Rebecca and I can't be there, uh, providing the second piece, which is just accountability. And I think one of the things that Rebecca's leadership team has done a really good job of here, and I, I guess I'll throw myself in that, is trying to say to our people and make sure that we're messaging this appropriately that, hey, look, we're here to just help you achieve better success for your clients. And in doing that, we're going to try and create some accountabilities that you want to create for yourself. Uh, you know, we were talking about, we were talking earlier about, um, you know, New Year's resolutions, and it's always, I'm going to work out more and I'm going to eat less or whatever it is. And guess what? By February, you haven't been to the gym in a month and, you know, you're eating chocolate cake all the time. If you have somebody who can help you with that, um, then great. And we're finding that a lot of our advisors are appreciative of the type of coaching that we're giving them, even though it is creating some accountabilities for them. And then they're able to model that, I think, with a lot of our clients, because one of the main things clients like about a plan is it starts creating accountability on them. It starts organizing them and they say, all right, I need to do these four things. And I trust that this person understands what I'm trying to achieve. And all that they're saying are the things that I need to do in order to achieve the goals that we've already discussed. So we just try and model that as a leadership group to our advisors so that they can internalize it and then model it to their clients. To, to that point, I'm going to go back to my experience with my advisor. I've had him for a long time. I worked for Prudential for a dozen years. I then became an entrepreneur. He changed the way he speaks to me now because now it's a SEP. Now it's, it's what are you doing? And he's on top of me all the time about what I need to do as my life has changed. So, I mean, that, that, maybe, he's, maybe I should have him on a podcast at some point on, on, on what are the right things to do and on how to engage that client through all the different changes and life life events that happen. And it go, goes back to life events, retired from Peru, entrepreneur. El, you know, it's I have an LLC now with my partner over here. Totally different scenario. And he's dying to ask a question. You saw me twitching, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so, so I have what I think is a very critical question. And it's all about, you know, whether you're, or not you're truly acting from a client-centric standpoint, whether or not the client experience really matters, uh, whether or not you are really delivering wealth, one wealth. 
So, so the question is this, to me, if you are doing all of that, then the single most important part of your job is to understand the client, which means the single most important function you have is to do a killer job with this discovery, right? If you're doing a really good job with discovery, then you're understanding all your clients' needs and you're able to service those needs. So we always talk about, you know, your process is your product. And what we mean by that is the process by which you work with your clients is your product. It is your only product, right? Because that creates the client experience and that's what they see as your product. The most important part of your process, in my mind, is discovery. Discovery from a one wealth perspective is very different or should be from discovery from a investment services perspective. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that, on discovery. How do you execute a good discovery? How important is discovery? What does a true one wealth discovery process look like? I'm just throwing that out there. Rebecca, you just came off mute, so go for it. <laughs> well, I think discovery is ongoing. So one of the things I do see is I think oftentimes upfront with a new client, we're really, really good at it. Uh, at least some people are very good at it, but it is an ongoing process. And I think where I see that ball drop is we assume we know everything and people's lives are always changing and they are always ongoing. And just as Bob said, his life changed. You need to be in that sort of dialogue. What I will also say is the more complex the client, the more critical it is that that team is engaged upfront and ongoing because their situation gets so much more complex. No one person, no one person can remember all of the estate laws and all of the different retirement distribution laws, how your options might work. What's going on with your insurance? Have you moved from risk protection to estate needs? All of these things are constantly changing. How you're using debt, are you using it to purchase something or are you using it strategically? So we keep our teams there, especially with the complexity, we match the right team. And part of discovery is you will do a much better job because everybody is going to ask a different question based on their skill. And then that advisor who maybe traditionally was an investment specialist is a relationship specialist. And it is their job to make sure that when we do all of those things, that the client still feels a singular point of entry into our organization and that we are coordinating. So discovery to me is not even just how you document it, just how you go over it. It's who you bring to the table and making sure that as that client evolves, you're bringing the right people to the table. Yeah, no, well said. And I think that's perfect. And, and, and to your point, discovery is ongoing. I think there's too many people that think of it as one and done, and it is not right? It's constantly changing and you constantly have to learn more about the client. It's a relationship, right? Relationships aren't stagnant. So uh, Chris Considine, you know, you're planning centric. Discovery has to be critical, right? To create a plan. So give me your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more with what you were saying before, Scott, about how important and how critical discovery is to our relationships. And I mean, Bob's given us a perfect example of it uh, to what Rebecca was mentioning, which is it is ongoing. Bob's situation's changed. He needed to be rediscovered. Uh, he probably has different goals now. And so making sure that you do that on a, at least an annual basis is going to be really critical because how can you put together a plan when you don't even know what the goals are or if those goals have shifted? So I would say from our perspective, you know, we, we've talked about what we've done over the last seven to eight years. I think Rebecca would probably agree with me that discovery is the thing that we're going to probably do even better over the next seven to eight years, because I think we can get even better at doing that piece. Part of the challenge with doing discovery within a One Wealth platform is what Rebecca was mentioning, which is people are specialists and sometimes they don't bring up things that they feel uncomfortable about. So, uh, you know, maybe they're not comfortable talking about insurance, so they never even bring it up, but it needs to be part of the conversation, especially from a discovery perspective. And so that's part of the reason why we bring teams to the table. So Rebecca was mentioning, bring a team in there because maybe it's not your area of specialization, but maybe it's the other person who's there with you 
they'll feel comfortable asking those questions. Because without full discovery, there's gaps. And if there's gaps, then you've, you've essentially opened the door for other advisors to come in and fill those gaps with other value add. I don't know how many clients I've worked with in the past where, you know, we haven't discussed, you know, maybe it's banking or maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's insurance. And we've left the door open and the next time we meet with them, they've gone and fulfilled that with somebody else. Um, we don't want to do that. Clients don't want to do that. They want to have one wealth relationship, but it has to begin with asking all of those discovery questions to find out what they're trying to achieve and the assets that they have to achieve those. So, so Chris, let me keep you on point for a second. It, it is my experience that a lot of advisors out there think that the discovery process is all about understanding and uncovering assets. And to me, that's wrong. Right. Not that it's not part of it, but it's wrong. That's where they all start and they shouldn't. To me, the discovery process has to start with their lives. And I always say the one of the most important questions is what does it mean for you to take care of your loved ones? You know, let's learn about your lives. Are you are you are, are you raising kids and trying to put them through college at the same time that you're taking care of elderly parents or, you know, all that kind of so start with their lives, then their goals, then their assets. The assets are last. You start with their assets, you look like a used car salesman in my book, right? You do not want to start there. The other piece of that is to your point, and it's a really good point, Chris, that you know, discovery is dependent on your point of view, right? If you have different subject matter experts coming in, then they're going to ask the questions that they're comfortable with, and they're going to eliminate the questions that they're not. But if you have a quarterback in the relationship, to me, and the quarterback starts the discussion with and is always reminding the client of this, that my job is to not only help you manage your assets, but also help you protect your assets, then right off the bat, you're opening both sides of that discussion. And you can say, as the coach of that relationship or the quarterback, I'm going to bring in other teammates to help with some of the protection aspects of, of, of our relationship. Now, I'm not going to have all the answers, but I have teammates that do, and we're going to take care of you, right? If you position it that way, you're in such good shape. I would yeah. think, right? I mean, do you agree? Completely agree. One other piece that I would uh, include in there when talking about discovery, we talk about it really in two large terms. One is information gathering, but the other one is creating that unique experience. So you're able to, in that first discovery meeting, demonstrate, not tell, but demonstrate how you work with that client. So at the end of that meeting, some of the, some of the best advisors we have, Rebecca will certainly uh, mentioned some of these, some of the best ones we have, they're great at having follow-up. They're great at creating already those checklists, which clients appreciate. You know, they, they feel like the ball has been moved forward, even in that initial discovery meeting. So we try and emphasize to our people, yes, gather the information, make sure that you avoid the blind spots, but also understand you are being evaluated right then and there by that client as to whether or not they want to come back into that next meeting or whether or not they want to give you information at all. So don't overlook it. Make sure it's professional. Make sure it comes off the way you want it to come off. Um, and then you might actually be able to gather the information that you've been asking for. So that's such a good point. You are being assessed by the client every time that client is sitting in front of you. And the, the quality of your questions will either engender trust or eliminate trust, period, right? And you need to know that. So Carolyn and Chris Cassidy, because you've been listening to this, and I'm sure you have other clients out there that you wish would do a better job with discovery and things like that, but just get from the top down, right? Because you're looking at a, a lot of different programs. What are what are your thoughts and reactions to the discussion we just had? I mean, at the end of the day, I think when you're looking at discovery and looking at a unified approach, a unified wealth approach, you're arming your advisors when you have a unified approach to have ask the hard questions without having to know the answers. And when you have that unified approach and they have the comfort level to say, talk to me about life insurance. Have you thought about this? Giving them just a few nuggets of questions to ask and then say, thanks. I appreciate that information. Let me bring in my specialist who focuses on nothing but this. And we can start to walk through this. It sounds like you might need to have this conversation today. Having those types of conversations are the most important thing in the process. And the ones that we have seen do well with insurance, they have a focus on it. They have insurance specialists. They don't have advisors 
selling the insurance necessarily. They have them knowing how to have the conversations and having a unified approach on how they're positioning that with their clients. And I think when you're talking about discovery, it's just arming them with the questions, not the answers, and giving them the confidence to say, now let me bring in my person who talks about this. Because I don't ever expect to know every answer to everything. And if you do, you can't be all things to all people. You have to focus on what's important to you and what's important to your clients and how you can best respond to them. And I really think that's where Unified plays the biggest part in all of this is bringing in the different experts on the teams. I agree. And it is, I mean, if you're an advisor and you can make that statement, listen, I'm going to ask you the questions that will enable us to truly understand you and your situation and help you. I'm not going to have all the answers but I have teammates that do, that takes such a a weight off your chest. You don't have to be the know-it-all, nor do you want to be the know-it-all, right? Because nobody is, and you're going to get some of that wrong. But if you can have great teammates, I mean, yesterday we were recording a podcast and we talked about the importance of the, the people on the team. And it's just like a sports draft, right? The better you are at getting better people on your team, the better you're going to deliver, the better you're going to perform. So the teammates are incredibly important and you have to rely on them if you're going to be differentiated in the the marketplace. So good stuff. Chris Cassidy, any other additional thoughts here? You've been sitting back and you're taking this all in and I see the smoke coming out of your ears because you're burning your thinking, right? (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, this really is the most important concept. Maybe if you'll let me just get a little philosophical for a bit. I think it's... um... It's that whole old adage, if you think about it, are you listening to be heard or are you listening to understand, right? And I think so much of discovery is done to like, how do I define a solution that I can then place or sell as opposed to what are the needs and actually being vulnerable that maybe I don't have the full context to be able to solve for a need. And I think this extends right back to where we talked earlier, which is certainly at the advisor client conversation level, those that engage in discovery and are effective at it, they're magic. They're the best. But it really translates throughout life and also into the leadership level. Those that are the best at managing, leading, and supporting teams and at talent acquisition have a great discovery process. It helps them understand who's going to fit in their organization and be successful once they get there. So I, I think this starts kind of in all layers of life and it just it's a great conversation to hear. Yeah. And, you know, you just touched on something. D- discovery and the importance of discovery and being good at discovery also matters when you're recruiting, right? Because when you're trying to recruit a key teammate, you better be asking some really good discovery questions so you discover whether or not they're a good teammate, right? So uh, to me, questions are the answer to a lot. Good questions, right? All right. So I'm going to throw it back to Bob, but I'm just going to, for our listeners sake, I'm going to make a comment. Um, So we prepare for these podcasts by creating a list of questions. So we kind of know usually what we're going to ask and what comes next. This has gone totally off the rails. We are off script. This is totally spontaneous, but it's the best type of discussion you can have. So I'm going to pass it back to Bob. I have no idea what he's going to ask, but go for it, Bob. (laughs) Well, I'm going to first make a comment in that the, that, Everyone around, we have like the Hollywood squares here because we're using Zoom to to do this podcast. Everyone's talking about protection and insurance except me. And 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 that's all I usually do. So I want to thank and appreciate each and every one of you that have mentioned insurance and protection and how important it is to not only grow, but protect your assets. See, Bob, it's contagious. You're contagious, Bob. (laughs) I I, I don't have to worry about it anymore. I'm going to go to... Just like, okay, so what's next? Is the journey complete? And if not, where do you go from here, Rebecca? Where where, you know, you've got you've done an awful lot with your program. What is next? I think the journey is never complete. I think if you say I've I've baked it in, that's how we end up with a model that probably needed to change 20 years ago and we just haven't done it. So I think it's always ongoing. I think one of the things Chris talked about, we are committed, we are going to get better at discovery and we're going to get even better at planning. That is that is a critical part. We also hope to continue and hope that the technology comes along because the back end and the technology and some of the regulation does not easily match what we're trying to accomplish. You can get there, but it's not perfect. So we hope 
to see that come along. And our view is that you just keep innovating. Try things, see what works. We know the model works. So what else can we add? What are the other things people need? You know, we're not, we're life coaches at this point. So what are some of the other areas we should add? So yeah, we're not done, um, which is exciting. I, I can't imagine if we thought there was a bow around this, what else we you know, might spend our time on. And Chris Considine, I was going to say Chris C, but as I think all of our listeners have learned, we have both two Chris's and both two Chris's with C's. So I have to go, Chris <laughs> from Zion's, what can you add to that about technology? And I have a question also after that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we discussed it a little bit earlier. Our, our focus going forward is really around discovery and planning. We've got to do a better job of being able to discover what our clients are trying to achieve and then planning to be able to achieve it. And that is an ongoing iterative process. We're never going to come to a, a spot unless I guess our clients suddenly have decided they have no more goals or no more um, things that they're trying to achieve. Or I guess if the federal government just stops with estate taxes and things along those lines. But I, I seriously doubt that those things are going to take place. So we have to always remain nimble, but it really has to begin with how can we get better at connecting with a client in an initial discovery meeting so that we understand what they're trying to do? And then how can we get better with a planning experience that showcases how they can achieve those goals that they have? Since everyone's been talking about insurance, I don't, do about, I don't have to talk about that. Medicare has become the next hot button. Nobody has a clue about what to do with Medicare at 65. And with, and with each new uh, Congress, we wind up getting new laws. You mentioned one before, being able to take money from a 529 plan and being able to roll it over into an IRA. There's always going to be new opportunities that are there that we've got to make sure that our advisors are up to date on um, and make sure that they are asking the questions to be able to see. Uh, you know, it may not have been the initial discovery question that you had with your first advisor, Bob. What are you going to do if, you, if you've overfunded a 529 plan? Well, it's a good thing he did discovery for you 10 years later so that you could mention there's, I've got extra funds in here. And, and he was able to, to provide a solution. Absolutely. And from a partnership perspective, our friends from LPL, you guys obviously provide a lot of support in this avenue as well. So Carolyn, what, what is the next step? How, how, how do you build upon the experience that you've had with Zion's? I mean, to Rebecca's point, when you think about the journey, the journey is never ending and everything is coming out that you guys touched on. There's always something each year. So staying current on what's going to happen, on the regulatory changes that are happening, on how we respond as a firm and in partnership with Zions, I think are critical. We're coming up on an election year, so we're going to have change. It's just the nature of the beast. But I believe really firmly in how we respond to that change and how we show up for our partners is the most valuable thing that we can give them. We're on the journey together. It's cheesy to say that their success is our success, but that's that's the reality. If they are not successful, we're not successful. So making sure as we stay in this heavily regulated environment and as we embrace the changes that are going to come in the next year and the next 10 years, that we're just staying current on everything and where there are opportunities. Medicare is a great example. Leaning in and giving them everything that they need from the standpoint of partnership of making sure that we're arming them with all the information that we can as a firm. Chris, I don't know if you would add anything, Chris Cassidy, I don't know if you would add anything to that, but that's really where I see the value of the partnership. Yeah, I completely agree. I, the, the point that I would just pull home is we're grateful for the opportunity to partner with leaders um, like Zion's in the industry. And, and uh, you said it, our success is their success. Scott Stathis. Uh, I love this discussion. Um, I, I don't have, well, I have a lot to add, but we're basically at our limit. <laughs> so I think we should have some fun and wrap up with a fun lightning round question. I have no idea what it's going to be, and I'm leaving it up to you, Bob. So surprise us. Well, you know, we are recording this. It's the middle of December. People are starting to think about the new year. Let's go the New Year's resolution route. Whether Okay, so my question is, have you thought of a New Year's resolution? Do you believe in it? And if you have one, will you share it? And you know what? We're going to start with Chris Cassidy this time because we've been usually starting with Rebecca. So we're going to flip it around and hit Cassidy first. Hey, way to put me on the spot, my man. Absolutely. Uh, You're the sponsor. I have to. Yeah, right. I mean, New Year's resolution. It's um, 
it's it's actually painful for me to say it, but for me, it's it's um, finding the right balance in life, right? I've got three young boys at home and um, an amazing wife, and that those are the priorities. And so it's just trying to find opportunities, um, even if it's for a brief moment, to create memories and really be focused there. So um, the, if I were to encapsulate it in a thing, it's to actually create specific dedicated time for each of the members of my family and make sure that uh, they know how much I care. I hope all of our listeners have written that down because what gets better than that? Balance in life. Rebecca, you're up. I won't be nearly as eloquent as Chris, but I always think any sort of resolution is really just motivation. And one of the best things I ever heard is over about six weeks, motivation dies. But if you can use motivation and marry it up with discipline, over that next six weeks, discipline will really take over. So my real focus is on anything I start this year, seeing where motivation is passed and discipline comes in and ensuring that I have the right amount of time, energy, and focus to really make the most of the discipline. Oh, geez. I'm, I'm now rethinking mine over and over again, but uh, I'm going to go last. So Carolyn, you're up. <laughs> Bob just got intimidated. <laughs> No, mine is way different than Chris's and I kind of almost have to laugh. I'm a working mom. So right now I'm just trying to make it through December. Um, and I can't even believe that Christmas is in, you know, 11 days, wherever we're at at this point, not even 10 days. Um, but as I think about the new year to that note, um, carving out more time for just myself because I get pulled in 20,000 different directions at all times. And when your cup is not full, it's hard to pour from an empty cup. So remembering that always and making sure that so I can give everything to my kids, to my husband, to my job, and let them all see the best versions of myself, making sure that I'm taking care of myself as well. Jeez, it's getting hotter and hotter. Chris Considine? <laughs> Mine's not nearly as eloquent or uh, philosophical as the others, but this one might actually help. Carolyn, this is one that I've thought about for a while and it's being able to say no more often um it's very important i think as a leader to be able to say you know i appreciate you bringing me in on this but i've really got to dedicate my time to these things that that rebecca and i have discussed that really will move the needle for us um there's just so many opportunities to be able to join certain things and you just have to sometimes say no because i've got to focus on this piece so Saying no is going to be, um, it's a challenge for me. I'd love to be able to be included in things, but I have to be able to say no to be able to hit the larger goals that we're trying to achieve. My, my favorite statement is, if it's not a heck yes, it's a no. So I've been trying really hard <laughs> in the holiday season to remember that. People use That's a good quote. Text, but yeah. That's a good quote right there. <laughs> and Scott. So this kind of relates to what you were just saying. I, I need to find, I need to get better at delegation. I try and do everything and I end up working way too many hours and not having enough time for all the other stuff. And part of that is being better at delegation. That's my New Year's resolution. And it leads well, to we're out of time right. now. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Bob. <laughs> I, I did not stop. Now, Scott, let me know. <laughs> I did not stop the recording yet, Bob. So we're all going to be silent and wait for your answer. <laughs> I still lose twenty pounds. <laughs> I'm going old traditional. I have nothing eloquent to say other than it. You know, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to take off the the COVID twenty finally. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've I've heard that one before. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thank you very much. This was a very good discussion. It was very it was dynamic. Uh, I thought. Uh, I think we covered a lot of really good ground and our listeners are going to appreciate this. So thank you for sharing your thoughts, your experiences and your knowledge with our audience. Uh, much, much appreciated. And thank you, Carolyn and Chris, for being our supporting partners in creating this episode. That is also very much appreciated. Bob, last thoughts, comments? Well, those of you that have listened in, you've probably picked this up on either Apple, Spotify or Google. Just make sure you uh, subscribe to this series. It's called Industry Leadership and Success. We have another one that's called Entangling Fintech. So if you're a techie, jump on that one. We also have one we do each month with the BISA. And of course, we would be remiss if we didn't mention FIIC Presents, which is our 
uh, monthly podcast on the protection industry. Thanks so much to LPL for sponsoring this podcast. And Happy New Year, everyone, because by the time you're hearing this, it'll be 2024. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Industry Leadership and Success. We hope you found the discussion enjoyable and valuable. Also, don't forget to check out our two other podcast series, Untangling FinTech and BISA Industry Trend Watch. Please subscribe to our podcast and join us again for future episodes.